Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Ria, founder of No Ties Consulting. And my name is Milos Novic. I'm an associate professor of law. And hello, Grumpy GDPR folks, and welcome to another episode. Hi, Ria. Hey, Milos. How are you doing these days? Doing well. Actually, just... Busy? Uh, yeah, my God. It's that time of the semester. <laughs> well, actually, you know, in any given month, uh, I will say it's that time of the semester. No, but uh, teaching is in full swing. And uh, usually each week, it's about uh, three days, which tend to be just like full of classes. So kind of difficult to keep up with everything. How about you? I can't blame it on any particular season. I think the GDPR privacy and data protection is a season all year round, it <laughs> seems. It uh, feels like uh, sitting in front of a fire hose of uh, information all of the time. But um, yeah, I got to wrap up a major project. So that was fantastic. Done a lot of great and fun work there. And yes, it is possible to do fun risk assessments. Did I tell you uh, my theme of the year, by the way? I don't think so. Make GDPR fun again. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I actually glimpsed that on LinkedIn. But, you know, I think I love that attitude. Uh, no, look, yeah. seriously, I know that people always roll their eyes when I say GDPR is fun. Come on, let's do it. Let's <laughs> talk about it. But uh, it is. You can at least make it more relevant and more engaging and uh, maybe not fun, but at least more engaging than uh, just, you know, uh, a boring old uh, risk assessment that make people want to run for sick leave. That is true. And speaking of, well, no, I don't have a proper segue there. It's not speaking of anything, but our today's <laughs> topic is actually a very exciting decision from the Norwegian Data Protection Authority against SOTS, which is a gym chain. That is hard to say and pronounce, right? Say fitness chain instead. Fitness it's uh, easier. Chain. Yes, uh, which is actually one of the very best decisions, I have to say, uh, genuinely, when I've read it, this was one of the best decisions made by the Norwegian Data Protection Authority, in my opinion. Second only to, and you know that I'm a huge fan of the, obviously, Irish Data Protection Authorities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, jokes aside, it is a very well-reasoned decision, in my opinion, in which they handle basically a couple of different things which were problematic with this training uh, fitness chain, uh, including mm. uh, their handling of data subject requests, most importantly and above everything. So access requests, deletion requests, and as a flip side of that, questions about lawfulness of processing, uh, storage limitation, data protection principles, in essence. Um, yeah. yeah. And information to members as well. Or in, insufficient information, that is. But to give people some background, uh, it all got kicked off by complaints. So actually, the Data Protection Authority had to handle complaints they received from people. The first one was lodged, I think, uh, quite early on, about, um, I think, a month in after GDPR came into force. Although the mysterious complainant one kept uh, sending some uh, notices, I just have to laugh because I have told you, and I haven't disclosed that widely, that I'm the one who de delivered that first complaint. I was bored and GDPR had just entered into <gasps> force and they were annoying. So, uh, so yeah, that's my big secret. What a revelation. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you are the pestering data subject. 
No, only twice in my life have I done it. And here is actually why I've complained, because I've seen that they've shared the data with Facebook for the audience targeting. So I've just given them data in real life, and it ended up being shared by three such companies on Facebook. Now, uh, that part of the complaint was actually not handled due to the you know different evidentiary things. You could interpret my complaint to mean that uh, that that particular thing was uh, something that happened before the GDPR entered into force, which it was in Norway. In, yeah, yeah, because it entered into force in July in Norway compared mm. to the uh, rest of uh, Europe. So it was different for the EEA countries due to the formalities of uh, implementing EU regulations and laws. But in essence, you still get, uh, I think, still my main motivation is uh, offline targeting or connecting data, audience, custom audiences is a plague on this earth and it has to end somewhere. It didn't happen, but at least it showed that they never answered this request. Uh, what is this now? Five years later? And then there was yeah. another person who claimed also uh, having lots of trouble accessing their data. Then I believe two more people who asked for data to be deleted deleted, deleted, only to receive a response that in case that the services are terminated, for example, by a ban, that their data would be kept for up to 60 months. Am I forgetting something? No, I think you pretty uh, much summarized it. It uh, concerned uh, four different data subjects and uh, it was uh, two access requests and three erasure requests, uh, although SATS argued that there were only two but the DPA proved that there were indeed three erasure requests. And um, this goes also to one point that I found very interesting in the DPA's reasoning, and that was the systemic issues. They referred a couple of times uh, in the decision to this indicating systemic issues on the part of the controller, which doesn't sound good when you have 700,000 members. Yeah. No, I think that actually reminded me a little bit of the arguments made in the meta case that it is all it goes all back down to accountability principle, right? Yeah. Yeah, and this was also one of the reasons why they uh, fined them pretty heavily because, uh, and I think we'll come back to the size of the fine, which is extraordinary in uh, Norwegian circumstances. But uh, I just want to... Uh, you know, we talked about those rotten eggs last yeah. time. Uh, I have a few for such as well, because the one thing is that they argued so poorly throughout the whole decision and, and uh, raising issues that weren't relevant. Their interpretation of the GDPR, I found extremely odd. Uh, they uh, try to blame it on everything and everyone that nobody else is doing anything. And the GDPR was so new and all these requirements were completely new. Although we had the requirement for information to data subjects since the 1st of January 2001 in uh, Norway. So that wasn't a good uh, argument either. And finally, they blamed extraordinary workloads to, uh, to the pandemic, despite the data should have been deleted in February 2019. So when I originally read the decision, I just started writing down my comments and I didn't write a single word. So everything was LOL. Uh, <laughs> basically LOL and smiley faces because I could not believe the arguments they were making. But uh, they sounded, of course, very you know, just disjointed from the reality. But when I thought about it, actually, perhaps they made sense. Perhaps the council representing SOTS 
thought that this is not going to save us, the practice is clearly horrible, but maybe it would affect the level of the fine if they say, sure, things were wrong, but the first case happened right after the GDPR, look at that as a mitigating factor, the other cases were during the pandemic. Do you think maybe that's why they pulled such thin arguments? Yeah, I think so, because that's what I feel Meta is doing in all the DPC cases as well. You just try to throw everything in the kitchen sink in there to see what, if any, sticks. But what's surprising is uh, the the way that they reason around the articles and the GDPR specifically. I'm talking about the legal interpretation that I find really odd. And I would really encourage everybody to read the decision uh, to see how you might not want to formulate your arguments to the uh, DPA. And the second thing that's really, really surprising is that they are not taking into consideration cases that I believe should have been uh, used as leverage against that uh, big fine. Mm. Because it is a huge, significant fine, right? Yeah, yeah, apparently. And... uh... So I think that there are a couple of things to look into there. So first, you, uh, as you raise the point, they make lots of strange arguments to back up practices which are indefensible for an organization of their size. At the same time, uh, you have a very good overview of the fines. So what's your kind of uh, feeling about the level of the fine? So if we don't look at the two uh, very significant fines to uh, discuss and grinder, which are US-based, and only look at Norwegian cases, and I'm going to talk in millions here in Norwegian kroner since that's the comparison, and the SATS fine is by far the highest fine that's been dealt in uh, Norway so far. The Three next fines are all five million Norwegian kroner, which is half the fine of SATS. And if we then look at what type of cases those are and how many data subjects uh, were affected, uh, what the the actual and potential damages were, the um, duration of the violations and the percentages of the revenue, I'd say that uh, the uh, SATS fine feels very disproportionate, actually. Mm. Too high. Can you give us an example of the other cases? The five million? So I think the um, the best one that I'd compare it with uh, was for the uh, Norwegian um, uh, labor, what you call it, labor agency, government uh, agency. And they had a breach <laughs> lasting for 20 years. And uh, that pertained to 1.1 million people instead of four individual data subjects. Uh, Both were triggered by the fundamental principles. Both pertain to articles five and six. But it was uh, half the fine of uh, the SATS fine. Mm. And I also looked at the reasoning around and the language that the DPA used in those two or actually four decisions. And it, it seems out of proportion if you look at the context of uh, the level of the fine in those four cases. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. It must be a very difficult job for the authorities as well to 
both handle individual cases and to settle fines there, and at the same time kind of keep it uh, keep the cases in certain proportion to each other. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, and um, I'd love to know more about why they ended up on a 10 million level fine, because although it, it it's described in the decision itself, it, and they say that also um, the DPA writes that they don't have comparable cases in Norway. But I don't think you necessarily need to look at the same circumstances necessarily. You, If you look at uh, what I've looked at, the type of case, uh, the number of data subjects affected, the number of data subjects that could potentially be affected, the duration of the violations and the threshold, uh, which uh, of the fine two fine thresholds uh, kicked in here. And then the percentage of revenue where that is applicable, of course, in a, for a public sector entity, that's not applicable. But to compare with uh, with another private entity, Trumpf, uh, where you had potentially 2.4 million data mm. subjects, it was only 0.005% of their revenue compared to 03 in mm. the SATS case. Yeah. No, so interesting. it's interesting. Maybe mm. we need to get someone on to, uh, to talk more about that. Yeah. But here is a conspiracy theory. What if the uh, actual amount was driven by the fact that this was considered cross-border processing? And I'll come back to that. But uh, do you think that could have had something to do with it? Yeah, I had the same thought, actually. So uh, I couldn't see that that was actually mentioned in the decision, but uh, it it uh, struck me as well at some point. Yeah, maybe because there were other supervisory authorities involved. And the way that they argue it's uh, cross-border processing is because SATSI is established uh, in the region, so in, uh, in the Nordics in general, uh, because the organizations in other Nordic countries uh, can have access to personal data. And because they share mm. same routines. I'm like, mm, is it? Is it the cross-border case? I don't know. I, I'm not immediately convinced, but I'm also, I can't be convinced. In any case, just found it curious. I haven't given that uh, much thought. I looked uh, too much on the fine this time. Another thing that occurred to me was that um, it... The, the one violation is still ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> not giving access to personal data or yeah. not having the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The decision no. says it twice that uh, the one violation is actually still ongoing. And also they point out, the DPA points out that uh, they, they uh, didn't do anything. They didn't mm. try to respond sufficiently or delete the data before the DPA came uh, storming in with their uh, investigation. Mm. But here's an interesting question, though, because when I lodged the access request, I was a member there. And by now, a sufficient number of years has passed that they were supposed to delete it anyway. So I don't think it would be possible for them to to kind of, no, well, I don't know at which point um, or like, yeah, I guess they could just say we no longer have any data on you. Yeah, if you can't find it, then fine. And if you, but you should know if you whether or not you deleted the data. That should be you should have a record of that some uh, somewhere, mm. I guess. It was interesting because I uh, I I have to admit I was a bit biased uh, since I had bad experiences myself. So I used to be a member, and then in twenty uh, was it seventeen. Uh, 
I cancelled my membership and then I rejoined uh, some time later. I can't remember exactly when. And then I asked them to forfeit the uh, administrative uh, charge because I, I used to be a member. And I remember it clear as day. The person on the phone said that, sorry, we cannot do that due to the GDPR. We have deleted all of your personal data. So I was like, oh, cool. You take privacy seriously. Yeah, thumbs up. And then I rejoined, downloaded the SOTS app again, logged in, and guess what happened? God. Yeah, all of your data there, I'm guessing. All of my data reappeared magically from my entire <laughs> training history and everything. So I was unimpressed, to say the least. And second, I sent actually also an access request last year. Then I got an automated email response saying that we have registered your case. A month later, I got an email follow-up uh, automated as well. And this is why it's so dangerous to automate stuff. Saying that, uh, oh, it seems your uh, request is still unresolved. Please get in touch if you uh, want uh, further follow-up. And then it seemed to have closed my ticket without actually giving me or responding to my access request. Incredible. Incredible. So they have another one, unfortunately. So it's literally better not to have anything in place. <laughs> yes, in this case, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I can't believe because when the DPA said that it's indicative of a systemic issue, I can absolutely see why. Because if they have automated these types of requests, it is so dangerous to do that because look what's happened. You can't, you don't even get back to people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure some of these conflicts would have been actually resolved through normal dialogue. But, you know, taking a step back, okay, we have access requests, we have deletion requests that are not, not uh, complied with. We have uh, complaints lodged with the Data Protection Authority, which says, fine, you know, one month after the GDPR, we must investigate. Corona, we must investigate, doesn't make any difference. Um, however, then they start investigating, they flag a big problem with the legal basis, because... Uh, SOTS actually kept changing their legal basis throughout the... Uh, I think they had a different legal basis for keeping personal data. Like every three months or something, they went from consent to contractual necessity to legitimate interest. And then when Data Protection Authority actually tried to systematize all of this to say, you're not complying with principles, you're not complying with data subject rights, you're not complying... compiling. Uh, sorry... Um, my God, why is my brain off? You're not complying, <laughs> complying with? with Article 6. Thank you. They start arguing, you know what? You're punishing us twice for the same thing. Nevis in idem. Like you can't punish somebody twice for the same crime. Yeah. Wasn't that incredible? Yeah, I, I found that extraordinary, to be honest. And they did that uh, at least twice throughout mm. the decision. So uh, Sats basically claims that if you violate one article of the GDPR, you automatically violate one of the basic Article 5 principles. So you shouldn't be punished for that because that would be a double punishment. Yeah, but I have to give it to them. It is a nice kind of theoretical thought. And, you know, if the wording were just slightly different of the GDPR, like it would be <laughs> fun to entertain. But I mean, it's, uh, yeah. And then they had some of the stuff about how when they write consent, they don't mean consent under the GDPR, they mean consent under the contract law, which Meta flagged as well. 
I got so many other strange things. Yeah, um, but hold on on that one because that is an interesting one. They included that in their contract, so the terms that you and uh, the contract that you enter into uh, mm. when you become a member. So they called it consent, and they um, really refused in the decision and their responses to the DPA that they meant consent under the GDPR, while at the same time they wrote a passage about you can withdraw the consent, yeah. which makes they, absolutely yeah. no sense, right? That is where they went wrong. Honestly, if I were in their place and I wanted to keep the training statistics in order to, for example, uh, administer those plans, do you only train at one place or multiple places? It's an easy argument for contractual necessity. Just use different terms. But it wasn't yeah. the only strange thing, right? They also had a bunch of other weird stuff there. Yeah, they. Um, I found it astonishing that they argue that the DPA should refrain from questioning the assessment made by the controller, both in respect of the storage period, but also in terms of the legal basis. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, flabbergasted, as they say in English. Yeah, so a DPA can't and shouldn't ask you which legal basis you have and for how long you're storing data? Yeah. Basically, and and this was also what I found really peculiar in the decision was that we this is the first decision uh, I believe I've seen where the DPA actually provides some concrete guidance in terms of storage period because everybody knows that the GDPR doesn't say anything explicitly about this uh, to a huge frustration from many controllers, so you you don't get to know like yeah, I can keep it for two years a hundred years, but they do some reasoning around this, which I found uh, really thoughtful. And mm. it made sense that you can't just say 60 months out of the blue. It doesn't make sense in in the context of that particular processing. Mm. Although a public entity could store personal data for 100 years, mm. true story, then you have to look at the context of the processing. And here Sots argued that the DPA shouldn't mean anything around that, which is strange. Mm, well, I actually do like the way that the DPA dealt with that one, which was like, all is fine, you know, keep it for one billion years, just show us that it's actually necessary, because that is the whole point of the GDPR, right? So such yeah. uh, uh, saying technically that the DPA can't determine it, yes, true, but they also kind of conveniently forget the second part. But, you know, this whole story of you can't tell me how long to keep the data, you can't tell me which legal basis to use, uh, just forgetting the accountability principle. So just rejecting to give DPAs any authority just reminds me of the people who are very much into small government living in like uh, doomsday bunkers, um, organizing their own police forces. <laughs> so like basically. Or meta in the DPC decisions. <laughs> oh, that's not fair. <laughs> but yes. Uh. Yeah, so uh, I think um, that pretty much uh, wraps it up. I think uh, the last thing that I want to point out, yeah, I didn't even make a note of it, that uh, in, in when Sats tried to blame uh, everybody and everyone for not adhering to their legal duties, the DPA said that it should be emphasized that our enforcement action in the present case was triggered by complaints submitted by data subjects, which the DPA is required to investigate. And this is something that I keep telling people that, you know, 
I, I say in the unlikely event of a DPA investigation, because it is so unlikely that you will be targeted um, on their own initiative. It's usually something in the news, it's uh, or it is a complaint, and it's usually mm. a complaint. So um, there you have it. Yeah, that is that is actually a very very good takeaway. Can I ask you just one quick last question? What sure, was sure. the most ridiculous thing for you in the decision? <laughs> there, there are too many. I don't know. It's, I think it's just the whole, all of the various arguments that they're trying to throw everything in there. But I think that maybe the two worst ones were the double punishment and the you can't uh, uh, opinion on anything as a DPA. That was yeah. a bit it's of a shock. It's not fair because you had two, but I have to. I have to concur. Uh, I think I will go with the "you can't punish me twice" because I've breached uh, yeah. all the principles. But also that they didn't use better cases in the reasoning. I would have loved to have written that <laughs> defense, <laughs> although I might not have uh, for uh, such uh, considering my own background there. But <laughs> no. You know, I know one thing and that I don't think I'll be coming back. Not me either. And on that note, we wish everybody a very, very wonderful couple of weeks ahead and talk soon. Talk soon. Bye for now. 